Hello, and welcome to the Tech Queens podcast, a podcast focused on featuring stories and advice from women of color in tech. In this episode, I'm talking with Ebony Cabarrus, who is currently a student at Make School. She is studying applied computer science and hopes to use these skills to solve real-world problems for underrepresented demographics. Hey, Ebony. Welcome, Tech Queens. So happy you could make it on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm great. It's Wednesday, so super productive. <laughs> Wednesday is <laughs> supposed to be the most productive day of the week, apparently. So anyway, so let's get started. My first question for you, Ebony, is going to be like, what's your story? What's your background? What brought you into tech? You don't have to answer all those questions all at once, but, you know, just give us a little brief intro to yourself. Definitely. I think I have a unique story because I'm 25 and I basically got into tech in my mid-20s. I was previously living in Texas and I was like serving tables at the Marriott and at like different restaurants around Houston. And I wanted to do something more with my life. I wanted to feel like I had a purpose and I can make a difference. And I just was kind of like, you know, tech is like everywhere. And I'm like, if there's any tool that I can use to kind of do the things that I want to do for my community and also just to like make a decent living, I felt like it was a good industry for me to get into. So I started like logging on to Team Treehouse and doing all these free coding boot camps and tutorials, but it kind of wasn't enough, definitely not enough to start a career. And eventually I found out about Make School and it really seemed too good to be true because Make School is like this two-year program. You get your degree super quick. They help you get a job and you don't pay anything up front. And for me, that was my biggest barrier, I feel like, to getting into computer science was that a lot of these programs are really expensive if you weren't trying to go to like a four-year college and get all these student loans. So I didn't immediately apply because I just didn't believe them. And then a year and a half later, I was still doing restaurant jobs and I was like, okay, just go ahead and apply. So I applied to the program in maybe like April. I was accepted by the summer and then I came here in August of 2018. And I've been studying computer science ever since, and I really love it. I think I've grown and changed so much since I've been here. Of course, it's come with certain challenges in this industry, but um, I just think, like, the background that I bring has kind of enabled me to navigate it and also, like, gave me a different perspective on my projects. Wow, yeah. So there's a lot to unwrap there. Um, one yeah. thing that really popped out to me was your mention of, like, student debt. And I think that's actually a huge just systemic issue, especially in this country. I think student debt or student loan debt, rather, is the biggest kind of debt the United States has. And also it kind of reminds me, too, of the college admission scandal and how people are sort of killing themselves to get into college only to come out with a lot of debt and maybe not a degree that they're really using. So I think that was interesting and how you pointed out that makes school doesn't have the typical sort of tuition plan compared to other programs where they actually, um, I guess, don't charge you until you get a job, right? Or how, how does it work? It's very outcomes-based. Like, they're kind of like, we're holding ourselves accountable to what we promise you, which a lot of colleges don't do. They don't really care what happens to the students after you leave, whether you get a job or not. They're like, like, you owe us money. It doesn't matter. Whereas make school, unless you're making a certain income level in this industry, like as promised, you don't pay them back. So once you are in the industry, you're making what they expect you to make, they talk of the skills you gain here, then you start to slowly pay them back from your income over, you know, 10 years or so, or however long you choose to pay them back. Oh, okay, gotcha. So it's pretty flexible in that sense. And it's definitely unlike, I think, 
most college programs. I mean, colleges just don't operate like that at all. So I think the whole sort of coding boot camp or sort of even alternative CS degree initiatives that have been popping ever since I think 2012 is when the first coding boot camp appeared is very fascinating. And I think that it has gained a lot of traction too. So thanks for sharing that story. Oh, you're welcome. So the next question I was going to ask, like, where's your family from? And what was your favorite part about like growing up in Texas? Yes. Well, my mom's from Texas, a small town called Port Arthur. And my dad is from basically Virginia, New Jersey. So just like on the East Coast. And they met in the military and got married in Korea and stuff like that. And we ended up living in Texas. Um, That's pretty much where I spent the majority of my childhood. And I think my favorite part of growing up in Texas was definitely the food, like, the food in Texas is so good, and it means a lot, like, as far as family bonding, because I found that when we did come together, it would be for, like, a crawfish boil, a fish fry, or Thanksgiving, so food food and family to me are, like, so intertwined, and it kind of just played a big part in, like, my comfort growing up, and knowing that that meant that, you know, I was going to get together and have this positive experience. I do miss that, even being here. Actually caused me to learn how to cook because I couldn't cook before and I was so spoiled down there. But came to San Francisco and I was like, I kind of want to still eat the same way that I was able to eat there and just to kind of remind me of home. So I just kind of cook those dishes for myself now. <laughs> nice. Yeah, <laughs> food and family is super important and like I guess the Latin uh, culture too. So it's nice to see that kind of connection there. Yeah. Um, and also, I'm from Virginia, too. So, <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, Ebony, last personal life question. What do you like to do for fun or rather what are you passionate about outside of make school? OK, I'm really passionate about reading and writing. Um, I'm a very analog type of girl. I keep dozens of notebooks just kind of full of my thoughts. I think it's very therapeutic. I love reading. Um, I've been building my book collection since I've gotten here. And aside from that, I really love to go to concerts and just rage. Like, that's my way of kind of getting my emotions out. So I'll go to a concert by myself and just kind of party with whoever is there that night and go home, come to work the next day. And so that's what I found that I like to do since I've been in the city. Nice. Okay, sweet. So... We're going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to go more into like your your experiences as a minority woman in the tech industry. Okay. Okay. So I know you talked about this already, but could you expand more on what experiences drew you to the field of technology? Yes. I just really wanted to be able to make a difference. That's always been my goal in whatever I do in life, to be making a positive impact on community level and I mean, even global, if that was possible. So I noticed that technology was becoming more and more prevalent in my everyday life. And I also saw it being used in, like, unique ways. And so I just would have friends who would bring up, like, app and website ideas and stuff like that. And I'm like, huh, you know, I think I could do that. So I started learning how to code online. And then from there, it was just – also, I really love language. Like I said, I have this love of words. So, um, I mean, computer – it's a different type of language than like what humans naturally speak, but it is all about syntax and stuff like that. So I was just really fascinated in kind of learning how to make a computer run in different languages and picking up these languages and like just kind of like a superpower. That's what one of our instructors, Danny, she always says that, it's a superpower. So I truly believe that. And it's just 
really given me the tools to be able to address certain things going on in my life that I felt like previously I didn't feel like I had the most control over. I, what can I do about that? Now I'm able to. Yeah, that's very powerful. And I think uh, as to like your instructor pointed out, the whole superpower analogy, I like to compare it to, you know, being a wizard and sort of having this editor that you can use to sort of make something appear out of thin air, you know, exactly like with a good text editor, right? So I think those analogies are really fun and I think they do make sense for the most part. I think we are the closest thing to a (laughs) wizard in the modern world. (laughs) Definitely. Great. So I wanted to again shift gears and talk about specifically your experience as a minority woman in tech. And I'm wondering so far in your multiple year journey of getting into technology and studying it, have you faced any challenges or obstacles specifically because you are a minority woman in the tech industry? Definitely. Really, for a number of years, I didn't pursue it for that reason. I just truly, especially since I didn't see anyone around me doing anything close to this, I mean, I just simply thought, this is one of those opportunities that people like me don't have access to. And I was like the biggest lie I was telling myself. Like, in a sense, it's almost like the imposter syndrome came before I was even in the industry. Like, I just was like, you just, that's not for you. You can't do that. And then once I got here and I realized I was, I could do that, that was nice. But um, it was still such a big adjustment socially and personally, just to be in an environment where there aren't very many people around me that mm-hmm. I can identify with. And then also still having the same confidence and like being able to assert myself despite being a minority. Because where I grew up, it was mainly black and brown people. I never really felt like other or as if I was like, you know, if anything, um, you know, we were the majority in that particular area. So kind of being able to come to terms with that and still be myself and be able to accept help and like let my guard down, like all these things were very hard for me, I think, coming into this industry, but I'm learning to slowly overcome that. And directly related to like your last point, how have you been able to overcome that, like those obstacles? Have you used any specific tools or strategies or what has been your method of like just tackling these obstacles head on? I'm still learning, but first of all, talking about it for a while, I just was trying to ignore it or act like it wasn't happening when it is a very real experience. And I don't think it's healthy to ignore the fact that you may feel a little uncomfortable or out of place. So I had to first be able to address that head on. And once I did, it was as simple as like reaching out and asking for help. I mean, I like talked to some of my instructors. I talked to Zia in my college, like, like I'm struggling a little bit with this adjustment from my old environment into this new environment, especially being that we are in the minority in this industry. And they were more than willing to like help me find a mentor. Um, We're starting like a resource group on campus for like women of color. So just all these things that seem so small, but they just really made me feel better to know that there were people around me that even if they didn't know how to best support me off the rip, they were willing to learn or like help me find someone who did. Yeah, I think that's really important. And unfortunately, I don't know if this is like always the case in the workplace, you know, where there is a supportive environment like that, where they're receptive and willing to take action on what they've heard from you already. So I'm curious as to if you've thought of that, too. I totally agree. 
And I think if you don't find that within the environment that you're in, I would seek outside resources. Like I know there's like a couple of just meetups for different social groups that can maybe relate to your specific identity. I think it's important to have that community. And also like, I mean, I know when I pick a company that I want to work for, that's something that I'm going to look for because I think to be truly happy and for me to grow as an engineer and as a tech professional, I need to be with a company that's invested in that. So I think that's like just something to consider even when just on the job market. And in terms of like investment, how does that look like for you? Like if a company is investing in you, how does that look like? Well, for me, I feel like that comes on different levels. I'm in a school environment. So for me, that would mean hiring a diverse staff. I think it would mean creating a safe space for students to form their own groups with each other and be able to support each other. And in the work environment, I've seen some like great um, employee resource groups at different tech companies that I feel like I was really impressed with or I liked. And I even like them just reaching out to like, for example, I was at Lyft headquarters and they were talking about how they went to Mexico, I think it was, to like find new talent there and hire employees. And I felt like I was really kind of impressed with that initiative because we are typically uh, excluded in a sense from a lot of these opportunities. So I think it's important to purposefully create those for people who didn't previously have them. So those are things that I look for where I feel like, okay, I might be supported in this environment because I can tell that they care by the fact that they're trying to like not rectify anything, but just kind of make amends and help people in areas where they may not have been helped before. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree. And I think this actually does remind me of what you said earlier. Like you weren't even sort of considering going into the tech industry until later on because you didn't really see yourself in the tech industry. Like there weren't many people, I guess, who you could relate to leading by example. And so I'm kind of wondering what do you think that young women or someone who like at an earlier stage would need to see or hear or know in order to consider technology as a career option like even earlier on so like let's say you were again a young girl in texas like what would have like really made you passionate about technology at a younger age i think that to see like women of color who were doing the job would have made me feel like, well, I can do that too. Like when I see all these companies, you know, that are like large companies and maybe when I see them in the news or when they're presenting their products, like I don't see a lot of faces that look like me. You know, I'm sure that they do have people of color that work for their companies and that make great contributions. So I just think that visibility and representation is so important. And so I think companies need to be mindful of that as far as their like public facing self, like how diverse to actually come across because I think it can be discouraging or encouraging for different types of people to want to aspire to be where you are or to join your company when they're like, well, they probably would not hire someone. And being in the tech industry now, or at least studying, do you know of any women that you can say inspire you now? Yes, definitely. I'm very inspired. There was a student that went here. Her name is Tia King. I don't know how she would feel about me mentioning her, but she's so inspirational to me because she was, she went here last year. And from what she told me, you know, at the time, she was one of the few women of color here. And 
she's just such a beast within this program. So she just kind of just showed me like what, you know, being determined and working really hard and not being afraid to be the only woman in the room or the only woman of color in the room can still like get you. So I kind of feel like she inspires me. And then also I've met so many wonderful women of color in this industry, you know, since I'm actually in the Bay Area and I'm able to visit these different tech companies and they have all gone out of their way to help me or give me advice or just have a conversation with me. And that meant the world to me because it showed me that people are receptive to me being in this industry. So those interactions are probably so small to them, but for me, it was just like the little push I needed to keep going. That's awesome. And yes, I think in general, a lot more tech companies are trying to be more receptive. I don't know if they're succeeding, but I think they are (laughs) at least trying. (laughs) Um, But this kind of relates to my next question. So obviously, you know, especially in the United States, like not everyone gets the same number of privileges. And especially like when I think about it throughout my tech career, if I think through the lens of, okay, hypothetically, if I were a white man, like what would have been easier for me, right? And one of the things that pops out to me is like confidence, like the amount of confidence I would have in saying no or just saying yes to something even. So like, for example, let's say that there is an active bug on the website and I need to get it fixed. And so I propose a solution. And I tiptoe around how I propose the solution sometimes, even now, because I don't want to come off as too assertive, right? Whereas I think if I were in a more privileged position where people are automatically like just have this confidence in me because of my gender or race or because of my position in the tech industry, that's just like the reality of it. I think I would just be able to just say whatever I want without really having to think about the consequences of how I say it per se. So I'm wondering, like, so far in your journey, if you've ever had this, like, thought or hypothetical sort of scenario in your head, like, what would be easier for me if I were a white, like, heterosexual man in the tech industry? Because I think this is something that we should consider, too, as we're trying to make our workplace, like, more fair for everybody. And, like, and in order to do that, we have to recognize that there are already people who have more privileges in the workplace. Definitely. I totally agree, especially about the confidence aspect. I think that's like a given for sure. That can be something that can be challenging. And I think if I was a white male, I probably wouldn't have these thoughts or hesitations. And also, even just getting into the industry, I like did some research for a project and I actually found out that, you know, women pioneered the coding industry. And then with that change was the basically when people started getting personal computers in their homes. So now that boys, you know, started having access to personal computers, they started to code. But what they found out was it wasn't because they were more skilled. It was because they were more likely to receive support from their families for pursuing computer science. So when it came down to it, like if it came to buying this boy a computer, they would do it for him versus a woman or a young girl. You know, that that wasn't something they felt like she should be focusing on. And so... I just think the support from your family. And then when they got in the classroom, the boys came in with more skills because they had already received that support from home. So I just think getting into the industry is like from what they've shown is like a lot easier just from a young age. And then when you get in the classroom, 
feeling confident enough to learn alongside these boys who may come in with more experience. That's definitely been me while at make school. Like a lot of these young men that I'm in school with have been coding since they were like 12 years old. And here I come, you know, I just started coding last summer and I'm expected to produce the same results. And at times that can be very intimidating. So I kind of feel like had I grown up in a different environment, my aptitude for this would have been discovered a lot sooner. And maybe I would have came in, you know, already building chatbots or like whatever. I don't know if these guys are doing, but so just from that, uh, I think that comes along with the confidence thing and just feeling like you belong because there's a certain culture in Silicon Valley, this like bro culture. And so as a woman, that can be very uncomfortable. That was another thing they found women were uncomfortable in the classroom because the talk that a lot of the male software engineers have is like similar to like black women talk. So just being able to like having to sit with these things and still push through while all they have to worry about is like showing up, doing their work, going home. They don't have to worry about being uncomfortable socially or feeling like you came in behind in a lot of ways. So I feel like if I was, you know, a, a white male, the whole experience would probably be easier. And um, I just wouldn't have to live with this duality of realizing that minority is really cool that I'm like breaking through, but at the same time, that comes along with its own issues mentally. So sometimes I would prefer to not have to live with that. Yeah, because it, it all comes down to sort of our intersectionality, like not just yeah. being a woman who, you know, is already underrepresented and already has to deal with like a lot of shit, but also just being a woman of color and, you know, it just gets even worse. Yeah. Just like even statistically, we see that like for salary, equal pay day was pretty recently, as you know, and when they were sharing the graphs, you could see they had to break it down by race and it, it got worse for women of color. Yeah, I definitely hear you. Wish it was better, but it's definitely a huge systemic issue. I There was a study done that I saw where actually they sent off 50 resumes for a recruiting company but they left the names off and like most people, you know, got, or it may not have been 50, but it was having many resumes and like most of those people got a call back. But when they added names to the resume or something that pointed out what the gender of the person was, that number dropped significantly. So it's like literally having a feminine name. A lot of people have this internal bias where you're seen as less competent. So these are all things that we kind of have to like fight against while at the same time, like, having to build all these like awesome crazy tools so it's it's a lot but I'm still thankful to be here yeah same and I think that it's true like resumes I think are really flawed in general but it definitely allows someone to discriminate you on so many different like data points on your resume like can be your age because they can see your graduation year it can be your name because they can see your name it can be your location even in your school and where you've worked and they can discriminate you on all these different data points but it's just hard to like think of an alternative too to resumes but what people have been trying to do to like combat it is like have blind resumes so they try to get all those discriminating parts out i don't know how well that works and then another one that they try to do is i believe make sure that for any of their uh, hiring groups uh, they have at least two diverse candidates, you know, whatever that mm. means to them. So that's another way they try to combat that so that they can hire more diverse populations like these tech companies. That's what I've heard. Um, but I think the the most systemic issue is that resume part because a lot of people don't get it right. 
and it's usually people from underrepresented populations and even if they do get it right they can still be biased against because of the data points on their resume so i don't know how we're going to solve that i'm sure there are companies trying to work on resolving that but i don't know how well they're doing to be honest yeah okay so that was a lot but um i wanted to again shift gears if you could give any advice to your younger self um as you were starting out what would it be like to accelerate the process even more i know that you mentioned earlier you had considered make school but then you decided against it because you didn't believe it would actually work i think yeah so do you think like your piece of advice would be to just pursue it earlier or what would be like the prime thing you would recommend to yourself if you could go back i would tell myself to just believe in myself I experienced, I feel like, a severe loss of confidence after graduating high school and just realizing how hard it was going to be to climb up almost any career ladder as a woman of color, especially coming from a poor community. So I just kind of laid down like a dog and just was like, well, this is my fate and accepted it. And I wish I could go back and shake myself and just be like, you can change your fate. You can do amazing things. You have the skills and the intelligence. And it's going to be a little harder, but I would definitely just kind of tell us, let's stop going sorry for yourself and just go do it. Yeah, I definitely needed that advice like a couple <laughs> years ago, too. <laughs> oh, man. It's so funny how like stories can be so similar. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh. I'm just thinking about it. You mentioned imposter syndrome earlier, and I think that really just ties into directly what you said. And imposter syndrome, if you don't know, is basically this feeling of not feeling worthy enough and feeling unconfident about your ability to do something, even if you have a lot of experience in it already. And this can happen to anybody from any background. So I'm wondering if you realized that was imposter syndrome at that time, or when did you find out about imposter syndrome and what that meant to you? I really found out when I came to make school, and even then, I was like, oh, that's not me. Like, I just did it. But then over time, as I was going through the program, I started to feel a little disconnected. I was feeling a lack of confidence, and it really showed when I got on a team project, and I'm normally a very assertive person and I take leadership and I just did not at all. And I realized it took me to the end of semester and like, you know, obviously that project did not go well, but I realized I did not take my usual like assertive position or I didn't do more for the project because I didn't believe in myself as an engineer. And I was like, wow, where did that come from? And then my uh, my girlfriend actually pointed out, she was like, well, that sounds like imposter syndrome. Like you pretty much don't believe in your skills you don't believe you deserve to be in the position that you're in, but why would you be here? Why would you have been accepted into this program if you weren't capable? And shortly thereafter, I did the most amazing project I've ever done, but it first took me confronting the fact that I didn't believe in myself and that it was something that maybe had been in my head for years, and that's why I I didn't even pursue the program originally. And what was that project that you made? That was really awesome. Well, it was like, it was cool. It was super advanced for at least my level of programming. I ended up doing a sentiment analysis on 
prison reform, which is like prison reform. I knew I wanted to do a project concerning that because it's like a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Oh, wait, what's sentiment analysis? Could you define that? Oh, yeah. Sentiment analysis is when you analyze the text for positive or negative emotion. So I just took a subreddit on prison reform and I wanted to analyze it to see how people felt about the topic. So it just takes the word and then it's able to tell whether the word is negative or positive and how many negative or positive words are in, are in this body of text. And the overall sentiment was neutral, which I was surprised about. But it was just so amazing for me to even tackle a data science project because I've taken my data science classes and I have mostly done very fluffy projects that are just very safe. So I just took this risk and I wanted to assert myself as an engineer and I was able to do that. So now I feel like I can take on heavier projects and I won't be scared to like pick up a new framework or language. And the next time I'm on a team, I think I can show up a little better for that team. I think it's really good too that you challenge yourself, you know, and you decided to go outside your comfort zone and like tackle this topic that it is a very like popular topic now, data science in general and machine learning. And you yeah. kind of just went head on and also kind of related it to something that maybe you were passionate about too. Were you passionate about prison reform like before make school as well? Yes, the crazy thing is I was going through my notes in my iPhone from 2014, and this was before I was even in tech or thinking about it, and I had an idea where I wanted to do something tech related to prison reform, and I literally forgot about that. So just the fact that I still manifested that for myself was so important because I was at a time in my life where I had all these ideas, but I didn't have the tools yet. So now that I do, it's like I'm able to like, go back and kind of just make it happen. Yeah, and I think that's great, too, because I don't think many tech companies think about those kind of topics, honestly. I know that there's the program The Last Mile, um, if yeah. you want to speak on that. But basically, The Last Mile is this program that tries to take folks who have been incarcerated um, mostly for nonviolent drug offenses. I mean, the prison system is just pretty fucked up in this country anyway, but what they try to do is they take those folks who are about to get released, they make them go through a three-month program through a coding boot camp like Hack Reactor, which is a local one here in the city, and then after that, they pair them up with a tech company through for an apprenticeship, and if they do well enough there, they get a full-time offer. And so they're already, like, they're on a way forward, which is the the most tough part once you get out of prison, is like you're not able to find a job because you have all these like barriers and all these biases that companies come with where they say, oh, you were in prison, like we're not gonna hire you. So here instead we have this like pathway where, where they can get a full-time job and really be able to like move forward. So I'm wondering, just in general, what your thoughts on programs like that are and how they kind of intersect both prison reform and technology. I did find out about The Last Mile while I was doing my research for this whole project. And I was so impressed with their initiative and just them kind of taking these people and like just giving them opportunities and their humanity back in a sense. Like, I do believe you can contribute something useful to society. You paid your debts, and I think they deserve like jobs and freedom just like everyone else. And I don't think those jobs should be limited to just 
like the jobs that most people don't want to do. I think that they could be great yes, engineers. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've you know even had a number of relatives affected by the prison system, and just some of them are like just truly really good people. And I couldn't imagine like them coming out and no one thinking that they're worth taking a chance on. So I love what the last mile is doing and how they're linking them to tech internships. And I hope other companies take note and, you know, start dipping into this like reserve and just create that pipeline from prison to like programs that, you know, can help the world. Yes. Likewise, I also have relatives that have gone to prison mostly for drug offenses well, they've all been released since then, but I don't think that after they were released, they even realized like programs like this existed. Right. And I do wish that these kind of programs can expand because there's this massive opportunity in the tech industry to even at entry level come in with such a great salary, such great benefits. And it's an amazing opportunity. And if you can just take three months, you know, which is what a coding bootcamp is offering or four months, you know, to learn these these key skill sets and then get a, a good paying entry level job or even just an apprenticeship, that's an amazing opportunity. And it should not just be limited to people who already have degrees or are coming in with more experience. Like, I don't think it should just be limited to them. It should have a much wider reach. So I think programs like The Last Mile are really great. And I hope that they can expand even further to like target all these different kind of populations that need those kinds of opportunities, honestly. Yeah, I agree. So do I. So, Ebony, we're closing in here. I have just a few more questions for you before we move into our many takeaways. So one of my last questions, if you are in a position of power at a tech company, like I'm thinking CTO, CEO, C-suite in general, right? And you had the power to change how DNI was, you know, enacted at this company, what's the first thing you would do to try and create a more inclusive space? And for those who don't know, DNI stands for diversity and inclusion. Yes, I believe diversity and inclusion starts on the educational level. So I would like to see more companies try to go to HBCUs or go to, you know, primarily like Hispanic universities or create programs for high school students and, you know, these inner city communities to learn how to code so that they can be not shuffled into the industry, but so that they can have a direct path into the industry or that you can offer them, you know, internships, maybe if you go to HBCUs with the students that you can give internships to. And I think it starts on the, you know, starts at the smallest level. And then from there, they are able to bring their unique skills and, you know, their unique experiences to the industry starting out. Because I think, you know, the higher up you get, it can be harder to do diversity initiatives. Your employee pool isn't very diverse, but I think you can make it more so by preparing students to come into this industry and by providing them with opportunities to do so, you know, within your company. So that's what I would do. Like, I love programs like Black Girls Code or even make school, you know what I'm saying? I would be going to these schools that have students of color and be trying to figure out how can we get them into our companies or how can we set them up for success? It's not in our companies, but whichever tech company that they would like to go to. I agree. And I think that tying into like, I guess, starting at the lower level and kind of working its way up. I'm also thinking about just currently, most employees at tech companies are not women of color. 
And I'm wondering how we can sort of help them help us, you know? So to form that as a question, how can someone who doesn't identify as a woman of color educate themselves better? Because I think the uh, expectation right now is like, just don't say anything that's going to rub people the wrong way, you know? And that's the only expectation right now on, on someone who doesn't identify as a woman or uh, a woman of color, right? Like at a tech company, just don't say the wrong thing. But what else can they do beyond just that to, you know, help us and, you know, educate themselves to better on our issues that we're facing so that we can just all be together. We can all just grow together better as like a company. Definitely. Um, I think that there is certain training that can be done for, especially when it comes to like management or instructors or any type of upper level staff. I think that, um, oh, the phrase is escaping me right now. Implicit bias. I think that implicit bias is such a big thing. And I think that there shouldn't be any company right now that is trying to do, you know, or any person that's not a person of color you need to be aware of implicit bias. So I think that tech companies can train their employees on that better. And I also think that on a personal level, it's kind of up to you to like, you know, do your, you know, go on Google, get some literature and just really try to unlearn and relearn how you think about things, especially as it concerns the workplace or giving people opportunities, how you may judge people that don't look like you because all these, small things that go on in our heads without us even thinking are impacting people's real lives. That could be somebody getting a job or not getting a job, or that could be them coming to you and then you dismissing them or taking their concerns seriously. So I just think you have to be willing to acknowledge that how you may have grown up or how you came into this or the mindset that you came into it with may not be best for all people. You wouldn't have known that because you weren't in an environment with these types of people previously. And then also just be intentional about the opportunities that you give, like if you are in a position of power. And I don't see anything wrong with purposefully wanting to give opportunities to women of color or creating programs that specifically help them. I think that's like I said, they've done a great job just being receptive to feedback and wanting to learn and create panels and hire more, you know, diverse staff. And it's just all about, like, it's okay if when your company started, you weren't perfect, but are you willing to adjust and learn as people and as a company to kind of expand your worldview? Right. And I think something that I struggle with, though, is how often do I need to educate someone versus how much should they be educating themselves? Because there is that sort of story I guess where there's someone who doesn't come from a privileged place and is trying to explain to the privileged person like hey you can't do that you can't say that because xyz but then there's that burden you know on me right to explain in the first place like I shouldn't have to do that right but then I feel bad later because if I don't explain it who will so I guess that's just the extra cost of being the minority it's like you always have to explain and if you don't then there's still a disadvantage anyway so what do you think about that because you talked about education too and training but you know just like on a personal sort of employee level like one-on-one what do you think about those kind of interactions Hmm. i was talking to a friend about this recently and i don't think it's our job to 
teach them how to interact better with people or women of color. I think when someone does say something that makes you uncomfortable or they say something prejudiced, like absolutely speak up. But as far as getting into the why or having an in-depth conversation, I feel like they should just say, you know, okay, what I said was inappropriate. If they, they themselves should go and do some reflection as to why or read, you know, books. But I don't think that it should be our burden. We already show up and we already are doing so knowing that we're minorities and we have to deal with these certain things. So I don't feel it's fair for us to take on the extra burden of also educating everyone around us. I feel like if they truly, truly do want to be, you know, quote unquote, an ally or if they, you know, want to treat people with respect, then it's up to them to build the character and the knowledge to do so. So I'm not here to like teach grown people how to treat other people, but I will like just call you out if I feel like you're being inappropriate. Yeah, and I think even in the workplace too, people have trouble even calling stuff out, unfortunately. Yeah. And there, there's that whole, you got to have the, enough confidence to even be able to call somebody out because it places you in a position, especially if it's someone really high up, um, that, hey, you might you might be risking, you know, your position if you call out the wrong person for the wrong reasons, even if you think it's completely legitimate on your part. So I, I think that's a very fair assessment. And in terms of allyship, I think it's always important to note that you cannot call yourself an ally. Someone has to <laughs> call yourself an ally. I've, I've noticed that I think on LinkedIn, some people call themselves allies um, who, who don't identify as a person of color or a woman. And I'm not sure if that's the right way to go about it. But anyway, this is a story for another time. <laughs> okay, sweet. So we went through all the questions. Thank you again. Is there anything I left out that you'd like to address or talk about? No, I just like to reiterate just to have confidence. Like I feel like confidence has came up so much, but I feel like that's like kind of the secret ingredient to everything. Things will be hard or you'll face certain challenges. But I think if you believe in yourself and if you're confident in your position, you would be surprised that the difference you can make and even how you can alter the environment around you. So I would just, just bring that to the table and trust that your perspective as a woman of color matters. And I think you bring something special considering the industry is comprised of mostly like, you know, white men or whatever the case may be. That means that sometimes maybe their perspective or their solutions to certain problems can be limited. So you can be the person that can bring in a unique perspective and I think that makes the company a better place. So this wouldn't let being uncomfortable deter me from bringing my own special sauce to the recipe. Oh, I like that. Special sauce. Yes. <laughs> that, that is really nice. And that ties into like what you talked about, like learning to cook. And that was something yes. you enjoyed doing. That's awesome. Yes. And I think that's honestly why, at least part of the reason why I decided to start Tech Queens, because I wasn't hearing, first of all, enough people like myself talking. And if you can't hear yourself talking, how do you know you're even represented? Right. Mm. Especially if you're new to the industry. So I'm hoping that, you know, this conversation and the conversations that come through this podcast really help, you know, our earlier versions of ourselves, like come to the tech industry feeling more confident, like you said. Yeah. Okay, 
So time for many takeaways. <laughs> what is a useful app or platform that has helped you grow in your career? Hashtag app advice. <laughs> a useful app. Hmm. I really like Headspace meditation app. I believe, like, when I was dealing with a lot of... Wait, what is that? I've never heard of it. Oh, (laughs) Headspace. It's an app, and it gives you, like, many meditations that you can do. So I would do, like, a three- to five-minute meditation before work or something. It really censored me. So if you're just feeling a lot anxious before you have something to do, I think it's just a good way, a good soothing way to kind of quell that. And then... What is another app that I use? Spotify. I don't sound crazy, but music and Spotify podcasts. Spotify is great. <laughs> yeah, music and podcasts get me through my day. So if I do ever feel like, I don't know, I need a little bit of an escape from my environment or all this can be can be becoming too much, I'll cut out my favorite podcast and, you know, I just laugh to myself and it makes me feel better. So those are the ways that I kind of yeah i love podcasts too what what are some of your favorite podcasts you know besides tech queens of course yes well i really like this recent podcast and it's like they just talk about pop culture and mental health and like being a queer person of color stuff like that it's called to read and sometimes it gets a little shady or a little vulgar but the takeaway really is just like to kind of love yourself and don't be afraid to walk away from situations that don't serve you. And you get to hear a lot of different people's perspectives and just hear like, hey, I'm going through this too. So it just been a big comfort to me lately. Right. Just being able to relate to the situation and just being like, hey, I'm not the only one dealing with this. Crap. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So next mini takeaway is what does the term burnout mean to you? And if you've never heard the term burnout, Burnout is a state of emotional, physical, and mental exhaustion caused by excessive and prolonged stress. It occurs when you feel overwhelmed, emotionally drained, and unable to meet constant demand. So this often happens when you're more senior or even more, even entry level, it happens sometimes too within the tech industry. And I'm wondering, and it can happen too as a student, so I'm wondering if you've experienced this state already of burnout or how you feel about the term in general. Because I think especially being a woman and like having to think about, you know, in the future, if you decide to become a parent, having to deal with that, that could be something that easily comes, you know, in to, to you, like burning out as you have to like juggle these multiple roles. So I'm wondering if you've thought of that at all and if that term specifically means anything to you. Yes, I experience burnout quite often, more often than I would care for because I'm earning a four-year degree in two years, so we have to learn everything really, really fast. And I'm building a new project every seven weeks, and it just gets really hectic, and I will find that I start to feel, like I said, a little detached, or, you know, some, I'm, I still need to take mental health days, that's what I call them, but it's like, okay, I'm not showing up, which I need to be. And I found that it's not so much the work that causes burnout, but not taking care of myself while under all this stress. Mm, so not eating or mm-hmm. sleeping or drinking water. Like I'm drinking five shots of espresso a day. Okay, I wasn't, but two or three shots of espresso a day is not compensating, you know, with enough water to be replenishing my body. Right, you know? right. Like, that makes sense. You know? Yeah, and I slowly start to break down, and then by the end of the term, like, the level of exhaustion that I feel at the end of these terms is not 
cool. So that's another reason why I started cooking. Because I'm like, like, eating McDonald's and drinking Starbucks is not going to get you through this. Like, Ooh, you yeah, have to that's really- true. <laughs> Starbucks has a lot of sugar. <laughs> yeah, it's caffeine too. But yeah. Yeah, so. that's true. Okay, that's fair. Like, yeah, you should definitely cook at home if you can, people out there. Like, (laughs) I mean, I I fall into that trap, too, where I'm just, I get really lazy, and I just, you know, I get a Starbucks, or I get a smoothie, and it's just, like, all the sugar. I just go out and, like, get some sweets from, like, Susie Cakes or something, which is this bakery near (laughs) me, and it's not good. It's not good, (laughs) and I need to do less of that, and I think I have recently, but it, it really, it fluctuates. It fluctuates for sure okay cool so next question what is an organization or affinity group that you would recommend joining hashtag friendlies if you're a product designer or an aspiring product designer which is like an area i'm very interested in um there is a group and if you're a black woman they area a black designer or a black person so you don't have to be a woman but this podcast is for so if you're a black <laughs> woman you're a designer or you want to be a designer they have been great, and I went to, like, so far I've only been able to go to one of their meetups, but I met so many wonderful people there who not only just wanted to help me, but just kind of share their industry knowledge, and the food was good, and the environment was very positive. The food has so. to be good, yes. <laughs> yes, and they actually have barbecue, so. Oh, nice. I love meetups that, like, will provide you the food, the, mm-hmm. the nice people, like, they just do everything for you, and you just kind of have to show up. Yeah, right. it's really great. Um, I'm actually curious, who's in charge of that group right now? I might know who they are, actually, just like out of curiosity. I would have to look up her name. It's like in my head, but I know I'm not. Is gonna... it Kat Velos? Yes, yes, that was Oh it. my gosh, okay, Kat. Yeah, I actually, I know her. She works at Slack, so it's funny. Yeah, I think she's, she's mentioned funny. the group. Yeah, awesome. Okay, cool. So last mini takeaway, where do you live online and how can people reach out to you? Hashtag grow your network. Sure. I am on Instagram and Twitter. My Twitter handle is E-B-O-N-N-E-S-I-M-O-N-E. So it's Ebony Simone. And I can I can share that later <laughs> in the website notes for sure. And then my Instagram is E. D-O-T-C-L-A-I-R-E. So that's E.Claire. And am I on anything else? Um, LinkedIn? Oh, sure. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. It's my first and last name. And I think that's it. Try to minimize my social media presence. But I believe that's it. Awesome. And I'll definitely share those links in the episode notes. And on, you know, on the website, of course, too. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Ebony. I really appreciate you sharing your story and advice. And that's it for today. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun.